you staying warm out there, all you cool cats and kittens? Now that the sun's gone down all over town, it's time once again for yours truly, Alistair Crow, to give you headlines of the day. That's right, the tide's rolled in, folks, and that means the workday's done. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the tales of the tides. And we've got your evening covered.
and soul, here's a tune to keep your spirits high and your feet tapping. Remember, we're the backbone of this city. Luxurious chambers of the underborn, a tune that's as enigmatic as the nobles themselves.
those early risers and the ones who never said here's a melody that captures our island serene mornings. those moments when the weight of the pickaxe feels too heavy, let this tune lighten your burden.
and remind you of why we push forward. Good evening, travelers of the night. You've bravely wandered back into the world of Roll for Impact, where every dice roll echoes through the corridors of fate and every choice might be your last. I'm your guide, your narrator, your spindler of stories that will make your hair stand on end and give your very soul goosebumps and give your goosebumps goosebumps. Wesley, but you can call me Wes. Welcome to our second Public Stranger campaign. And let me tell you here and now, folks, the first episode was a doozy. And frankly, I just want to express how proud I am of every single one of the players and everybody who works on this campaign. Your talents are heard even in the echo chamber that is the cosmic void. In the last session, we jumped right into it. But this time, let's introduce ourselves formally. Starting with Matt. Greetings and galore, everyone. Behold, as I am the Matt. I'm a 24-year-old Dutch, Belgium, all kinds of multicultural dude that lives in Europe and is one of the few and one of the only in this group uh, that is the European compared to all of these lovely Americans that I have right here. I love fashion. Just in every type there is in the world. When I see it, when I experience it, when I feel it. There are so many things in the world that one can enjoy. The passions that I have in life is, well, my dog, my cats, my family, my friends, my esports, which I commend a lot to and which is a big passion of my life. But there's something that takes an even higher step in that. And that is Roll for Impact Dungeons and Dragons. And I am grateful to be here playing as Nihilus von Stonen. This is a red-haired, beautifully a mustached, wizardly cleric inquisitor and promoted graduate priest that comes from all the way back to the lands of Kiernstone to the west, the empire of Kiernstone, in fact. And he is here now for who knows why. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Shane. Uh, and like Matt, I come from a far-flung country, just uh, perhaps a little more foreign to everybody, the long uh, <laughs> ballyhooed land of Canada. I've been playing tabletop games for, I mean, relatively a pretty short amount of time, just about four years. But in that time, I've really dove in head first and really come to love and appreciate not only the game itself, but the community that it fosters. I joined up with this group a, a couple years ago, and, well, I really love how much they dedicate to deep, intense character building and storytelling. I'm playing Trevor the Heartless. Uh, he's a, a big, burly, slightly less than intelligent half-orc. Uh, a good old boy who just tries to do his best. Whether it's with his meager intelligence or his massive size and strength, 
Well, he's just an employee working for his boss as best he can. I hope that I'm able to give a, a more grounded perspective to a very high-concept story. Uh, and I'm, frankly, honored to be here. Well, hello there. Uh, my name is Ari. I am a perpetually tired person who seems to be up at just about every other hour on the clock, depending on what day of the week it is. I have been a text role player of more than 20 years, which means that I naturally seem to sort of been absorbed by the D&D and TTRPG community. Uh, I'm used to things like world building, um, intense or interesting characters that are full and ripe with the opportunity for growth and change. So, very naturally, I kind of dive headfirst into situations like dark-themed campaigns where characters, you know, don't have the best kind of time, or they don't come from the best of circumstances, like my Esperanza Boira, a female-born person in their early 30s who goes by just about any pronoun that you can think of, pierced up, chopped their own hair into a curly blonde bob, dressing somewhere between androgynously and just including about everything that they can put on themselves. What do they do? Kind of difficult to say when they just seem to only be capable of not sleeping very much so far. But hey, with a good meal in their belly, who knows what they're going to get up to. Hello all, Asteria here in Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, when I grow up, I want to be just like my character, Dr. Isadora Glass. Uh, she maybe doesn't run around so much anymore, but when she talks, people listen. And if they don't listen, well, yes, they do. Uh, I am so happy to be here, dabbled with TTRPGs since well, the 90s. Uh, one of those theater people who didn't really have time to commit to it until a few years ago and then went all, all in. And I'm so happy to be at a table with people who are as committed to their characters as I am. And so happy that I'm finally making use of my fancy psychology degree. My parents uh, will be very proud. Cumulatively, we are Roll for Impact, a narrative-focused Dungeons & Dragons actual play group. There are other people in the background who all work just as hard, if not much more so. Como, Beans, and a bunch of others. We try very hard, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, and by the way, The Stranger is episodic in nature, so you don't have to listen to the entire campaign to ever catch up. Usually it'll be two to five session jaunts, and this would be our second episode of our first jaunt. Without further ado, let's roll the intro.
Dr. Glass, you're in a incredibly opulent room, a fireplace crackling in the corner. It's not one of yours. It's one of your clients. You see them sitting in a chair by the window. They turn to you and they ask, So, how long will you be gone to Crowperch? Are we not going to be having sessions anymore? I'm afraid I might indeed be gone a few months. I have research to do at Blackthorn University. Uh, we should be able to write to each other if there's anything urgent. Uh, I would encourage it, in fact. I'd encourage you to uh, write to me any thoughts you might have, any dreams you might have. I am an avid correspondent. But uh, the research for my upcoming book, uh, this is a rare opportunity, you know. Uh, very few people, very few outsiders are uh, admitted to Blackthorn University, even on a temporary basis. Interesting. I've been to Crow Perch before. It's... Well, I'm just not much a fan of the politics. Are you familiar with the families? Well, there's the Scalders, the Vanthorns, the Meridials. It's not the same world we live in here. It's... They're the powers that be. I actually haven't been uh, since I was a little girl. You know, it used to be quite the vacation spot. Not so much anymore, I understand. Uh, so, please tell me more. I'd love to be prepared so I don't uh, step in it, as they say. I know you're a well-connected man. The Vanthorns killed my wife. Oh. I... We've never quite gotten into that territory in detail before. That's because I haven't told you. You have to know, it's not like any other city where there's guards and tribunals and courts. You should be aware what you're walking into. Why did they kill your wife, Arthur? Well... And she goes up to him and just looks into his eyes and puts a hand on his wrist. It's all right, Arthur, you can tell me. She... Uh invested my inheritance, much of it, into the mines, and she discovered a way to, to get more product faster than the rest of the families. They killed her and took her technology, and then they sent me out back home. So purely because... She was too adept at being their competition. They will do anything to stay in power. The Vanthorns, they're not like the other families that come from Hiran Stone and Samarouch and Varanos. They came out of nowhere, but I tend to think that they're so successful above the rest because of their cruelty. That is often the way. It's very brave of you to tell me this, and it sheds light on some of the dreams you've shared with me. He looks out the window and starts to don his thousand-mile stare 
as you know this sensation. The last few minutes of his life are probably washing away from his brain, as they typically do. Just constantly forgetting. Oh, Doctor. I had a fantastic dream last night. Uh, that's wonderful, Arthur. I'm so glad. Would you like to tell me about it? Yes. Me and my wife were enjoying some time on the beach together. The servants brought us some drinks, and I, I always remember how beautiful she was. Do you remember anything about the beach? Yes. You see his expression start to change. A furrow in his brow. There was blood on the sand and everybody was laying down face down in the sand my wife she had a sword through her chest you see terror start to dilate his pupils and he looks out the window again alright that's enough for now why don't you lie down on the chaise here and sleep, Arthur. This has been too much for the moment. And she says a few words in some other language. And he falls asleep. And she looks around the room, concerned. There's a, a crease of worry and care on her forehead. This is one of the ones who's who's gotten to her a bit. Uh, but she takes a few notes in Thrumcald and resolves that she will write to him. Uh, he's an ideal correspondent as he likely won't remember writing to her after all. You open your eyes. The room is hot. The window, you can't really see anything out of it. It's just white. And you're startled a bit for just a moment because you hear the fan come on again, blowing just a little bit more clean air into the room. But the rooms are hot. The body heat radiating. This ill-timed journey of the ship was met with the saturation, which usually arrives later on this year, but nonetheless it's here early. The air is thick with salt, dense and corrosive, a mist that could fill your lungs in just one breath. Of course, less fortunate ships who were caught out by this you can only assume have already vanished under the weight of the salt deposits dragging them down below the water in crystalline tombs. Yet, her royal rose, this ancient vessel, is designed to endure the saturation for a limited time. Maybe less than a day. But it's already been two days traveling, with a couple more to go until you reach Port Hillcrest. Beneath the deck, you can hear the yelling, biting discomfort sounds of the entire common quarters. 
It comes through the floors. It's been like this day and night for the last two days. Confined like caged animals. Passengers have no choice but to place their faith in this ship's faltering heartbeat. The fluttering of ribbons on the vents in your rooms are the only sign that you'll survive this trip. And even they cut on and off occasionally. Every few minutes, you see the ribbons go down and then kick back up again. Chaos brews in the common quarters. You can often hear that yelling. And Dr. Isadora Glass, a scholar of the human psyche, on your quest for knowledge, your fate is in the hands of this already ill-prepared crew. Trapped in the confines of your quarters with Mr. Nihilus Von Stonen. Trevor, a stoic and skilled bodyguard, has befriended some of the crew and is assisting in delivering meals, barricading doors, and sealing cracks in the hull. One of the few people who's allowed to move about freely. And thus, you can also pay visits to Nihilus and Dr. Glass's room. And amidst the turmoil, Esperanza Boira, basically a refugee now, with a haunted past, languishes in the opulence of the first-class cabin. Her rapport with her handler, Mr. Augie, ever degrading and eroding, as she learns more about her transfer to the old Dr. Faust and not the one she wanted, Dr. Neville Pettifogger. Surrounded by the wrappings of wealth, the only solace Esperanza has, from her room anyway, is a view of the ship's deck from her window. But the air is clean, the machines work well, and all of these wealthier travelers are allowed to go about the common quarters of the first-class cabin a few hours a day to enjoy the comforts that none of the common quarters would ever get to enjoy. Trevor, the hallways are lined with storage, most of which you brought up. Food supplies, medical supplies. The windows are all pinned shut, the doors pinned shut, most of them. Can't see anything out of them. To prevent them from swinging open, of course, because if they did, it would waste valuable air for a mechanism that's already kicking on and off more slowly. In the beginning, when it first turned on, the air was fresh, but now it's got that salty tang to it. You can hear the hollering below deck constantly. It's Frankly, very lucky that you got to stay up here. You hear? All right, Trev. Latch on the door's fucked. Pick up that crate with me and we'll get it in front of the door. Oh, uh, yeah, sure, I got you. Uh, let me get under it real quick. Go and attempt to help. Roll an athletics check. Okay. Uh, that's a 13. Pick up the crate with assistance. This one's quite heavy probably will make good use in front of the door and the two of you are able to get it over and pin the door closed fuck so tired anyway thanks Trev look uh you can take a break um 
I'm gonna go grab lunch, and I think the the errands today are getting close to an end. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, no worries. Just, you know, call me if you need me. Uh, I should probably head back down and see, you know, what my boss needs next. Um, yeah, uh, take her easy. You got it. Ken, he turns and gives you a little half-hearted salute and walks down to the cruise quarters. Just kind of kind of brush himself off, uh, making sure to pat his uh, jacket pocket, making sure that his precious cargo is still there, and just looks around. I'm sure it'll be fine. He just kind of mutters to himself, and he's going to just slowly start to make his way back uh, to Dr. Glass and Nihilus's cabin, just to see if he gets stopped or anything. But if not, he's just going to head all the way there. You head down the hall, and Dr. Glass and Nihilus, inside the room, sweat beads from your brow the air filter off for just a little bit longer this time than last kicks back on again and there's a knock at the door Dr. Glass tenses she's I don't know if there's more than one writing space I know there's a desk I don't know if Nihilus and Dr. Glass have to share custody just one desk. It's a cramped room, even though this is second class. It's a lot better than the people below you get. It's still very small. I think after three days of uh, territorial display, Dr. Glass is probably at the writing desk. Indeed. She shares, but... They would have to share, indeed, but this is a particular day that Nihilus has not fallen himself into shoving the conversation into perspective as he is sitting on the bed with his hands around his own neck at the back looking up to the ceiling watching the fans spin and just thinking sometimes a little bit out loud as he hears a knock he says well who is it mm-hmm. uh more investigation no it's it's me it's trevor hey <laughs> Want to open up? The door is open. Please come in. Not sure how Dr. Glass feels, but for me, there's no need to knock. You're most certainly welcome here. With all due respect. Why is the door open, Nihilus? And she, uh, her shadowy magic hand, which Nihilus by now is acquainted with, turns the knob and opens the door to let Trevor in, but she whips around on Nihilus and says the door should be locked and of course Trevor of course you're welcome but of course you should knock Dr. Glass we talked about this sometimes people would need assistance or help especially with the the saturation happening as it already is who knows with all due respect uh, Mr. Von Stonin um that points over at the doctor that is why I knock I don't know how attuned Trevor is to Dr. Glass's moods and just differences, to 
changes in her demeanor. What do you think? I think he's been around her long enough that he probably has some idea, but for a person with as many thoughts in their head as the doctor, it's probably harder for him to pin down any singular thing. So depending on how obvious she's being... I, because I think Trevor might have a general sense that she is not doing well. Like, mm-hmm. she's a, a put-together person. Nihilus probably doesn't notice it, even though he notices things about people. But, you know, mm-hmm. she hasn't been able to change most of her clothes in a few days because she still doesn't have her luggage. So, obviously, that's not... And none of the situation is great. But also, mm-hmm. also just something is... Off off. Like, and even her snapping at Nihilus like that, that's not... Normal. You know, she's subtler when she's mm-hmm. mad, usually. You know, she yes. didn't just say it's, something scathing and... It's more sarcastic than... Yeah. She that. didn't just devastate him. She mm-hmm. just snapped at him. <laughs> so, uh, Trevor would then kind of slinking his way into the room, closing the door behind him is just going to kind of take a seat uh, perhaps on on one of the beds probably not Nihilus's and is just going to kind of crouched over elbows on his knees look up and go I had a busy day Uh, apparently uh, they were looking to get something from me but uh weren't keeping that much of an eye on me managed to get down here I suppose I just blended in with the workers I kind of have that vibe so uh just do a little bit of that and uh I don't know if I'm out of the woods yet but uh here's hoping (laughs) Uh, and as he's kind of rambling he kind of starts to notice uh doctor at her desk just kind of go so, anything happened while I was gone? Not particularly, although I was thinking of late. With the heat rising as it is, it was an interesting tale that was told to me as I was patching up a most brave soldier back in Cairnstone. He had recently come back and he needed attending to. He had a very interesting tale as... He came back from the lands of Samarouch. Over there, there was this group of nomads stemmed down from who knows where in the mountains of the Dragon Rises. And they learned that how to traverse the tremendous heats of the mountains themselves. They simply meditated their way through, which seemed like a fascinating talk to me. How one could control their own Homes of mind to have such a large impact on one's well-being for just easy things as heat. I must say, I'm trying the method right now, and it does not work at all. (laughs) Well, that is, uh, as you said, uh, fascinating. Sure. Uh, well, I mean... You're talking about meditating. That's pretty simple, right? Meditating to a certain degree that one might 
inject their own comes of mind into reducing their own bodily temperature to withstand even the most impermediates of heats. I mean, that's not unheard of. I can do stuff like that. I mean, not exactly like that, but like being able to center yourself, being able to like calm your emotions and focus on the willpower over what's normally physically possible. I wouldn't be surprised if someone can cool themselves down to, you know, survive the intense heat. Uh, There was this lady I talked to uh, years ago. She was just this little thing. Uh, Taught me all about, you know, centering my emotions. It was all a lot of, like, mysticism and hullabaloo. But, like, a lot of it really worked. I mean, I sparred with her, and she was just this little, like, two-foot thing, and she kicked my ass, so... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Through that kind of stuff, a lot of stuff is very much possible. Trevor, I had no idea you had experience with mysticism and hullabaloo. That's fascinating. They kind of gave me a crash course on this. Uh, It's really... I didn't have a lot of proficiency with swinging a sword, and for a mercenary, that was kind of what you needed to do. Uh, But when I got transferred over to her, she kind of showed me how I can protect myself without resorting to weapons. Like I said, mind over matter kind of stuff. It really does help. Yes, indeed. Yes, people are often surprised to find that apparently weak or frail bodies can house minds capable of violence. Quite literal violence. Not just the pen is mightier than the sword type. The mind can crack your skull type things. I know that. Uh, You see, uh, Trevor actually gets quieter. Uh, when you say that, um, can I, can I ask you a favor, doctor? And she sits up a little bit and she speaks into his mind. She says, always, Always, Trevor, just so you know, you can speak to me this way now as well, as long as we're in sight of each other. See, as soon as that happens, he kind of, his fingers kind of twitch a little bit. And she says out loud very quickly, Yes, Trevor, anything. Doctor, don't ever talk inside my mind ever again. Does he say that out loud? Out loud. A remarkable feat to hear indeed. And it's quite spontaneous to reveal that out loud. How intriguing. And she is silent and for a moment still is a statue. She nods almost imperceptibly. Respectfully. He has never spoken to you like this before. He has always made accommodations for you. To impose himself to this degree is unheard of. Oh, yes. Just so we're on the same page. Yeah. One might cut the tension in this room with even a butter knife. Trevor, you came at impeccable timing. How about we use this and we stretch our legs a bit? We use this 
uh, shall I say, let's put a proposition. I wish to learn more about this mysterious satyr's saturation that has put itself onto these lands in such an, an, a numerous timing. I wish to do some investigating, but I'm afraid I don't want to get myself into much trouble. I could use some assistance in the mere occupancy of a fellow company, if one or both of you might indulge. I think I can do that. I mean, I'm already in trouble. What are they going to do? I'm going to get more trouble. What, they're going to let me off at the next stop? That's what I want in the first place. Joke's on them. I'm more worried about even getting there in the first place, to be frank. Take care of myself. Oh, not you. I mean, the entire ship has its own. I've been trying to read it up and trying to listen in on some of the conversations going by the workers' deck as well. The saturation is an intense moment. Is it not remarkably intriguing how Coast Perch is the only place on the vast continent that, that has this phenomenon? It ain't that intriguing to me, but I, I mean, uh, you know, everywhere you go, there's something special about it, you know? Back where I'm from, back where I've been traveling, there's always something notable. You know? This place just got a lot of salt. Yeah, I don't know what kind of phenomenon you're talking about, but um, if you need me to go out there, give you some backup, that's what I'm here for. I would certainly love the company. How about you, Doctor? You're wrong, Trevor. And she's turned herself back towards the writing desk and she's staring down at whatever she was working on. You can get in more trouble. You and I both can on this boat. The the family you've run afoul of is vicious and petty. And I was right to worry about you and I being separated so quickly. And I'm not sure if it's wise for me to leave these quarters, even in your company. It uh, might endanger us both. Since you insist on me speaking our private business aloud. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're the boss. Uh, I understand. It's okay. I'm not giving you orders, Trevor. I get it. There's just, you know, there's a lot going on. I'd be better off if something were to happen, if the other shoe were to drop. It'd be better if we were together. It might not matter uh, in the end. The end sometimes maybe further than it can be. Doctor, at least in my experience. Come on, lighten the load a little bit. I'm sure even you might want to stretch your legs. How, how about in proposition? We'll make it a quick visit and we bring you back some food. At least myself, I'm quite famished as is. Now, what would you have? If you can find a change of clothes for me, I'd appreciate that. I must smell something awful. I'll take anything to eat. If God wills it, I shall accept that challenge. <laughs> Just, Trevor, what was it you said they tried to get off of you? Or out of you? Well, they took me into a room, 
left me in there for a spell. Played some cards with some guys, made some friends with a guy named Ken. I did some work for them, moved some boxes. Then once that was done, I just, I mean, weren't nobody around to tell me what to do no more, so I just did what I want. I came back here. I understand that there's something here. Something strange. You don't act, you don't normally act like this. So, if you're concerned about me, I suspect you got reason to. If you want me to stay here, I'll stay here. Not just as a worker, but just as like, I don't know, a buddy. And you know that genuinely surprises her. Like, she thought she was cool as a cucumber. <laughs> you're very insightful, Trevor, uh, perhaps I have just been cooped up too long, uh, and maybe I should stretch my legs. Lord knows I haven't been doing my stretches that I should be doing. Uh, uh, maybe just a quick jaunt, the three of us, and uh, we could come back and we could play some cards. <laughs> We got nothing better to do. Might as well kill some time. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, let's... I think all this time cooped up in here might be... Uh... You know what? I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to talk down on you. Um, if you want to go with me, Niles has got his thing. That's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. I'm right behind you either way. And... A moment of gratitude flashes over her face. She's really not used to being scared. It's been a while, and she's at sea, if you will. Uh, and so she just composes herself and gets her cane and sort of instinctively t takes up her, her medical bag, like her doctor's bag that she often carries around with her, hands it to you, and takes your elbow with her free hand. Shall we, gentlemen? Somewhere else on the ship, somebody else is stepping out of a room in the first-class cabin. Esper, the noble's cabin isn't quite like the rest of the ship. The air there runs constantly. It's cool, it's well-conditioned, and for the most part, you're comfortable in your rooms, though you do have to be in there for an extended period. You're allowed to come out to grab a bite, to sit around, to mingle with the other first-class passengers. There's a certain passenger you haven't seen come out very much from his room at all, if not to take a plate back, and that's Felix, the one who you bumped into. You now recognize his face, and you recognize the absence of it. And you hear your handler just behind you, Mr. Augie. Oh, thank God. I was starting to feel stifled in there. What? You can't handle air conditioning? It's hotter in the room. I like the common space. Besides, people to talk to there. Oh. By all means. I'm not going to make you miss out on your chance to get some social interaction. Yeah, you should as well. Anyway, I'm going to go grab a bite. No. Enjoy your time. And he seems to pay you very little regard. You know, he's almost talking at you like one might talk to themselves. Um, he seems much more engaged and interested when talking to quite anybody else. 
in the first class cabin. And as you step out, you see, you know, there's some empty tables, there's some mingling going on, there's still some nerves in the air from conversation, and and you've noted this. A couple of interesting devices have been placed near the door that leads outside. These two mask-like devices, a bit crude, but these are rebreathers. They're in case of an emergency to step outside. It's probably something that Esper has taken quite some time to look over, at least without having to reach out and touch them, because while Mr. Augie might take quite a bit of pleasure in talking to anybody that's not Esper, Esper takes quite a bit of pleasure in talking to nobody at all. If they have to, they are usually listening more often than not. So, you know, rebreathers, those are thrilling. Something that Esper can pass by on one of the many rounds that they tend to make. Because instead of talking, Esper is more likely wandering the same path through the same hallways as many times a day as they're afforded to. Again, you walk up the staircase, you find your way to that same hallway, and you've done this routine for every outdoor break that you've gotten. And like clockwork, just like the day before and the day before that, almost at exactly the same time, Felix steps out of his room to go grab his plate. And he sees you again this time. Um, what was your name again? Uh, Esper. You gonna catch me every time I leave my room, Esper? Are you going to come out of your room every time I'm walking by? You do a lot of walking. He starts to walk by. Well, Esper, enjoy your walk. Enjoy your food. And for the first time, you notice he doesn't lock the door as he steps out. Would you roll for me an insight check? Sure. That is a 17. You can tell he genuinely forgot as he walks down the hall for his five-minute walk to and from the kitchen. It's hard when you're confined to a babysitter to be distracted by things. And for somebody like Esper, who is normally quite used to a routine, even the micro chance to form a routine on a few days' journey, the fact that that door was not locked suddenly is just screaming at them. So Esper is going to hang back, or rather, they will continue their walk like normal until about the point where Felix's possible line of sight may break, and then Esper will double back to his room door. You get back to the door, and you see it's there. Slowly open it. As you slowly open the door, would you please roll a stealth check? That is a 22 silent and you see a room that is immaculate it's twice the size of yours it bears a king-sized bed it even looks like it might even have multiple rooms within it and you notice two things immediately and one of them startles you first is there's a man standing in the corner observing a painting and smoking and second there is another man in the other corner tied to a chair. Does Esper recognize either of these men? Roll intelligence or history 
That is a nine. The one in the chair has some familiarities, but you can't place exactly what they are. The hair is a bit ratty. They look a little bit dirty. And upon observing them, if you don't close the door right away, you'll notice there's red spots, marks where the rope has been digging into their skin for possibly a couple days now. You notice they're also gagged, and they're sitting very quietly. Do they see me? The man who's smoking in front of the painting looks at it for a bit, and he turns to the table in the other direction of you, and turns on the radio. Turns it up just a bit, and you hear a song come on. He looks like he's about to turn in another direction, but you don't know which. Do you keep this door open to observe? No, I think in in, in the, there's like there's going in, there's the moment of shock, looking at one, but then staring at the other, and then the next minute, muscle memory just takes them backwards, and they shut the door on the other side. Door closes. A couple minutes have gone by. You can tell that any minute, Mr. Felix could be returning. Esper has to remember where they would be right now by this time on the ship. So they just walk off as they start trying to remember, trying to guide themselves to it. I would say roll a performance check on this, because that is very clever, and give advantage. Eleven. You walk over to the window, where you'd normally have looked out and tried to strain a bit through the fog to see if you could see anything. And you can tell by the time you hear the footsteps on the stairs, you know you can't get quite back to the place where you'd normally be, but you are carefully inspecting the window and paying careful mind to its detail. And as he walks up, you know, you see him stop in front of his door, put the key in and do the unlock motion. And you're not looking at him, but you can hear the hollow lack of a tumble as he turns the key, a slight pause, and then the key come out of the door, the door opens and it closes. It's less of a performance and more of a sort of dissociative shock. Esper can only stare out the window. Esper's eyes are painfully focused on the nothing out the window. Realizing and hearing all of those noises, thinking for stretches of moments, what is going to happen? But if there is silence, Esper is eventually going to tear themselves from the window and walk back down the hall. You do so, and you walk back down the hall to the seating area. You see Mr. Augie with a cocktail of sorts, holding it with a pinky out and speaking to somebody. Yeah, and uh, look, I wish I could have gotten quite any other room, but at least uh, we got to be in the... Oh, uh, hey, Esper. Don't let me stop you. And she's just going to kind of turn away slowly and walk someplace else for a moment. And then when Esper's out of sight, she's going to stop and think. And eventually dig into her pocket. Unfold it and look at the paper. And look at the paper and look at the paper. Is there a crew member nearby? There's the uh, bartender who's making cocktails for the wealthy. There's also the kitchen, which people don't actually typically go right into. It serves out of there. There's no guard at the door. Nobody's concerned about you stepping outside because outside is going to kill you. That is, unless you wear a rebreather, that's kind of a decision because people would notice it's gone. 
Esper's going to climb up onto a barstool seat. Not near Mr. Augie, though. Hello? Uh, would you like a drink? Um, she's gonna hold the paper towards them. I don't know if you can help, but I'm... I need to know where I can find this room. And which room are you referring to on the paper? This is the paper that Dr. Glass had written her room number on. Uh, let's see, um... Uh, yes, that's uh, in the second-class cabin. Unfortunately, access to it is just restricted right now, um, due to the, uh, as the captain has said, the saturation having settled in. And you'll find that in here, in the first-class cabin, accommodations are much more comfortable. But I... there's somebody I'd, I'd like to find. Well, if you can hold your breath for ten minutes as you go across the deck. Um, there is uh, other access, but it's mainly just for crew. Besides, don't you want to be separated from those people? That's why we're here, all of us. Why would I want to be separated from those people when I, I just told you I want... Where's the crew passage? Uh, through the kitchen. If you head down the stairs, you'll find your way to the cargo hold. You can walk right across the ship there, but again, that's just for crew. She's already climbing down the stool. Uh, you see him lean back for a moment, contemplating what he just said. Kitchen door. Through it. You go through the kitchen door and you see a few chefs working. They don't pay too much mind to you, but you do notice an eye or two noticing you walk through, and you get to the door, the stairs, and you walk down to the storage rooms. You could make your way all the way across the ship towards that room. Decidedly not stopping. No. Esper has a mission right now. You get to the room, and Trevor, uh, Dr. Glass, and Nihilus von Stonen as you open the door to your room to step out into the hall, you feel the door hit something. <laughs> Esperanza, you don't get hit by the door hard, but it opens when you least expected it to. And with your hands in front of you, you bump into it. Hold on, something's in there. Let me put my back into it. Shove it. This works because there was momentum behind it, so Esper's definitely stumbling in the hall. Oh, oh, oh my. If we reach a shore. Trevor. Hello? <laughs> yeah, Trevor pokes his head out. First, he's got it at eye level. He's like, what? Oh! What? Pigman. Hey. <laughs> she's got this paper in her hand, and immediately upon seeing Dr. Glass, she's like, yes, yes, hello, hello again, dear. Are you all right? I got the right room. Yes, you did. Well done. And she just kind of checks her, her forehead and her pupils and... A very entitled but doctorly man. You know, she just put puts her hand on her immediately. You seem to be well known, Doctor. Uh, I believe I told you that when we met, but I'm glad you're catching on, Nihilus. You'll be a fine scholar someday. Are you all right, dear? Esper's like looking up at two strangers, but really it's three strangers. But still, Doctor Glass is a face that she's somewhat familiar with now. Are you are you bored? Rarely. Any of I you? usually keep my mind quite occupied. Uh, boredom would be an exquisite luxury. I found something. Oh, I'm even less bored now. What did you find? I'd... 
I'm sorry, I don't know anybody on this ship, and the person who is set to look after me is a boring fuck, and I don't want to talk to him either. Oh, yes. I was on my walk, and he left the door unlocked, so I, I couldn't help it, I'm bored. I peeked, and I saw someone who's been tied up in a chair. Oh my, seem to be having a rather romantic evening then. Yes, which kind? I don't think it's... No, no, not... Not... Like, all right, all right. He's been there, like, a while. But the ropes were really getting into his skin. What about that? And Dr. Glass, tur- yeah, Dr. Glass turns to Nihilus and says, at the very least, that is bad practices. <laughs> what about that as well? Um, Everyone knows you shouldn't leave them for longer than 20 minutes. This man's definitely been left for longer than 20 minutes. Uh, you said he left it on... Where is this? First class? Of course. Sure, there must be some sort of misunderstanding. Are you sure of what you saw? I opened the door. It was a large room. I think they call them suites here. I, yes. And there was a man staring at a painting. I don't know what he has to do with it. You. And then in the other corner, snooty fucker has a man tied to a chair. Oh. You seem to be in a bit of distress. Is it distress? Or am I... F- Finding something to do for the first time in a few days. I hope it's distress and not just a figment of bored imagination. Uh, I can't really tell, well, to be honest. I know the way. Back up. Um, we just have to take the cruise quarters. But Snooty Fuck has a man tied in a chair. You hear the kick of the vents in the room. Kick for a moment, but then you don't hear the wind blowing this time. It's... I didn't even realize your air wasn't on. It just kind of flips on and off. Um, all right, so apparently you're here, right? And you're here because you got a problem. Well, there's a problem up there. Uh, you need us? We'll come with. Yes, absolutely. It, Dr. Glass would just like to give her a once over because she knows a little bit of Esperance's history. Just, uh, is she on drugs? Roll a medicine check. Where is the button? There we go. 19. You hear the vent kick again, but again no air comes out, and as you look over Esperanza, you can tell that she's medicated, and she is on something, but she looks well-managed, and she looks like she could be at the appropriate dosage. And just like that, you hear an announcement come over. Please, if you are outside of your rooms, enter them right away. This is very urgent that you all enter your rooms right away. It's a standard procedure, nothing to be alarmed about. And you hear the voice of Captain Ogram Strand. That might be the sound of our window closing, I'm afraid. We're gonna go, we gotta do it now. I have a, I have a room. I... I don't... I don't... Well, I've seen you once, big man, but I haven't seen you before pointing to Nihilus. Uh, But I've already said it, so... I suppose you're all in on it. That sounded to me like an invitation to first class, and I accept. Let's shelter with Ms. Say we were to be on a walk, and we were to proposition to safely bring each other to our corresponding rooms in a bit of a divergent route. I got lost, and you're bringing me back. Exactly. There you go. Look at that. You're, you're, you're a doctor. <laughs> you, you said you were a doctor. Shall we? Let's go. 
Yes, this is... Uh, by the way, I'm Nihilus, as we proceed. Ah, uh, Esper. Esper. Uh, Trevor. It's just Trevor. Big man Trevor. Let's go. You head down the halls, and the way you came, Esper, and Trevor, you'll recognize this room. It heads right down to the storage deck. Now, as you're walking down the hall towards that stairwell, you recognize the assistant to the captain is walking adjacent, in a different direction, not through the quite the same hall, a different one. You notice through the little alleyways that are between the two of them. You see the assistant to the captain stop. He notices you and turns down the alleyway. Oh, good, good. Exactly the ones I was looking for. We needed a hand, and Trevor, I... You wouldn't mind a bit of a dangerous job, would you? Uh, well, I, I was I was just about to do a thing. Um, you know, what, what, what do you need? Well, whatever that thing is, I'll promise you it's not nearly as important as this thing. The heartbeat of the ship, uh, the uh, ventilation system that keeps all of us alive, um, it is not running. Oh, dear. Oh, so like... That's bad. Uh... It's very bad, yes. I was hoping to find you. Because uh, in order to access it, it, it's through the outside. And, and he leans in. And we know, given the situation, that you might be the best one if it's a dangerous job, given what's waiting for you at the island. So, you know I'm not good at, like, engineering stuff, right? Well, this has happened before, and typically it's just a clog. Realistically, we probably have several hours before there's any noticeable concerns among the deck. It could be less. I'm not quite sure because we've not experienced this before. You hear a stammer in his voice, and he actually starts you starts to break a bit in how panicked he is. And we just need somebody to go down now. I do have crews that I was going to go and ask help, but I think you might be the best man for the job. Somehow, I, I'm not sure if that's the case, but um... we also need somebody, just in case, who has some sort of learnedness, because we don't have our engineer on board. That's why I remembered your name, too, Dr. Glass. Uh, Dr. Glass, whose head had whipped to Trevor on the given what's waiting for you on the island, looks back at this fellow bewildered. I think it's good for optics. Right. Fine. You'd like my employee and I You'd like a bodyguard and a psychoanalyst to go fix the ship? We left port without our engineer. Because we've not needed them any month out of the year except that of the saturation. And this has never happened before. And how much would you have paid the engineer? Quite a considerable sum. During the saturation, they are the most oh, important good. member. Oh, good. I knew you weren't... Uh, Oh, I, using I'm not my employee for, for, for free. free. No, of course not. We're willing to pay the same sum we pay our engineer if this can simply be resolved. To each of us, lovely. Uh, you uh, will also be giving Trevor a rebreather, right? 
Of course. So rebreather. I we, won't. We have several. Seven here in the second class. Two in the first class. And several more in storage. Just in storage? Again, this is months earlier than the saturation has ever happened. Don't know how else to tell you that we're in unfortunate circumstances. A dire need indeed. You see he's sweating. He's not put together. His clothes are a little bit rustled. I I get it. Okay, fine. They don't... He kind of says this aside to himself. Uh, so that people close can hear it. Just, they want me because I'm expendable. It's fine. I'm used to that. Well, I'm not. They need to know that. And you're not they expendable. Doc, they need to know that I'm not difficult. That's why. <sighs> Again, Trevor, you are wise. Uh, it would most certainly be a boon to your situation as already is. I'm afraid the man does speak certain truth. How some of the houses do have their certain views on certain things. I'm sorry for putting it like that. Yeah, uh, and it would and be good too. Do keep in mind, if you fail, we might all lose our lives. Well, that's very true, but don't let him hear that. You're costing us our leverage, Nihilus. Then she smiles at the assistant. Kind of looking down to Asper. Uh, sorry. Uh, I didn't get... I didn't get your name. Uh, Esperanza. Cool. Uh, Esper. Esper. Uh, I'm just gonna... I'm gonna keep going with him. Uh, you continue your thing. Uh, make sure. Make sure that you get a rebreather. I took one breath of that stuff outside and it was... No, don't do it. It's significantly worse now. We must use it oh. when it was early on and only stung a bit. Now if you breathe it, if not for just a few breaths, well, it will fill your lungs with salt in an instant. Doctor. No longer invigorating to the curls. The access hatch to the ship's mechanicals, unfortunately, is outside. This is an old ship that's been well adapted to the saturation, but was not built with it in mind originally. Uh, perhaps, why don't you, why don't you gentlemen go and I, I might accompany this young person to their cabin since they were lost. And, and got a bit of a clock on the bean, uh, which I might be able to help with as a doctor. (laughs) She just dangles her bag. Good luck to you guys. Uh, buddy, uh, what's your name? I don't care. Uh, lead me to uh, wherever so I can do whatever. Yeah. I uh, shall follow. He leads you to one of the doors out to the decks, one of the private ones for crew, and next to it you see three rebreathers. He takes two of them, and they're heavy devices massive even. There's tanks that wrap around to a backpack that goes onto your back, and there's a large mask that goes onto your face, and when it's on, visibility is significantly worse. But, and he says, with these devices, you'll be able to breathe for several minutes. Um, you have to get to the hatch 
turn the lever, which would require he taps on uh, Trevor's arm uh, some strength, nothing that somebody like you can't handle, and then simply make your way down after closing the hatch. The last air support to go would be the first class cabin, but before that would be the engine room where this thing operates. As you can tell, the air is probably already seeming thin here as the the vent kicks on again with no air coming out. Right, so fast. Fast is what you're asking for. Right now. And he takes the rebreather off of the wall and puts it around your back. And in the meantime, Dr. Glass, you're left alone with Esper. And Before I, they depart, mm-hmm. though, can mm-hmm. she turn to, to the boys and... and say very quietly uh, in a whisper that reaches both their ears in normal language thank you for taking care of us let me in turn take care of both of you and they both have bardic inspiration as Nihilus continues to walk forward and he puts both of his hands behind his back a little bit loud sometimes a priest would walk into his church uh, after hearing that and perhaps feeling that there's suddenly a thumbs up as he walks and you would see. So, left alone, yes. You are with Esper and you're heading, I suppose, with her back to the first class cabin. And you do so. You walk through the storage room, up to the stairs, up through the kitchen. But, Dr. Glass, you're familiar with the noble life. And as you step in, you can immediately recognize a cocktail party when you see one, or at least something like that. You see several people standing there talking and mingling. And you do vaguely recognize Mr. Augie, whose face is very familiar as he's been an assistant to several proficient psychologists in the past. But maybe just his name would come to mind. Anyway, he's talking to somebody in the corner and you don't see his attention turning on you also. What are you two doing? Uh, if there is no deviance to the plan, Esper is going to be leading Dr. Glass back to Esper's room. Just hold this a moment, dear. And she gives uh, Esper her bag just so she can snag a cocktail off a tray. Like bear hugging it. She doesn't slow down. She just takes the cocktail with her. Get to the room. And as you open it, you notice the accommodations are significantly more lavish. The sheets are silk. There's paintings on the wall. There's two desks to accommodate two beds and plenty of breathing room between both of them. And most notably, it is cool and comfortable and the air is fresh. Perhaps we can introduce your handler to Nihilus and they can hit it off. And you and I could be roommates. Wouldn't that be lovely? Oh, that'd be wonderful. Mr. Augie's a fucking prick. I am a doctor, after all. Perhaps I can convince him you need my constant care and supervision. I mean, that would really work out in my favor. I mean, if you're willing to look into the man in the chair sometime with me, that's an interest of you at all. Oh, make no mistake, I I am extremely intrigued. I love a scandal, especially with rich people involved. Especially a kinky scandal, which this definitely appears to be. Maybe I can use that to curry a bit of a favor, then. Hmm. 
I, I don't know. It's a long shot, but... I also appreciate a bargainer. Go ahead. Do you remember when we first met and I told you about the Dr. Faust? Yes. If there is... If there is any chance... Any chance... That you have any sway over his decision to lord over my arriving on that island... I need you to try and use it. Yes, I've been thinking about that. I've had a lot of time on my hands. How is it exactly that you are a ward of the medical establishment, if you don't mind my asking? I was a patient of the asylum near Bluebrook for 11 years. Dr. Faust was my primary doctor. Oh, so he is not new to you. No. No, he's he's not. It's been six years, and I think... He, I guess I just never left his mind. But you are not a free woman. Your handler is your warden? It was a deal. I... That's the best way to put it. It was a deal that I had to make. If I... Mm. If I wanted to go beyond my home to seek a different doctor for a different attempt at treatment I had to do so under the supervision of medical staff it just wasn't supposed to be Dr. Foss well and who was this deal with the asylum through the asylum well fantastic news I am medical staff and I'm very confident that I can convince your uh, handler to let you leave this boat in my company rather than his. And if through that we could skip the need to check in with a certain doctor that I'd rather not see, all the better for me. The question becomes what you do after that. If you had wanted to see someone specific who agreed that you need to see Dr. Faust first, that becomes trickier. Uh, but there's nothing in the world that stops you from walking off the boat with me and going wherever you please. I, I'm, I'm here for only one thing, and really, honestly, that is what I told those in the asylum who helped me get passage. I'm not lying to them about that, so if I can just get to Dr. Pettifogger... Especially without going through Dr. Faust. Especially without going through Dr. Faust. Now, Wes, I would not have a high opinion of Dr. Pettifogger, would I? Roll history. Do I get any sort of boost to that, since it's my field? I would say advantage in your field. Very glad I got that advantage. Oh, it was the first one that was high anyway, but that's an 18. Dr. Pettifogger... He graduated with strong accolades. In fact, you recognize the name because he's on some of the founding paperwork on studies of the mind, um, especially those pertaining to unique cases. But that's not what he's famous for, not at all. Uh, most other people who aren't in the same profession would know him as an elixir salesman. Dr. Pettifogger and for all intents and purposes, is a snake oil salesman to the professional field. Though many common people swear by his elixirs, 
Interesting. Tell me, my dear, why... Why Dr. Pettifogger? Well, it was just the name that came into my head lately. He had a sign that talks back in my hometown. And I... If I was going to go back into treatment, I, I knew I couldn't go back into treatment at the asylum with the same doctors. It had to be somebody different, and this is the only other doctor I... Stop. Be honest with me. You said the name came into your head. Does that mean something particular when you say it? How many times can you walk by the same talking sign and not get the name stuck in your head? Alright. If that's all it means. Can I uh, do an insight check? As someone who did, who developed uh, studies on whisper sensitivity, etc. As you well know, Wes, having done my dissertation defense, I want to know if there's a special intuition talking to her. Go ahead and roll insight. That is a natural one for an eight. <laughs> you don't glean much insight over, over Esperanza right now. She's always been tough to read, and she'll probably continue to be, especially while she's constantly medicated. Um, but that said, Dr. Neville Pettifogger does have signs everywhere. And most anybody who has a commute down a main road will walk by them every single day. Well, I'm sorry I interrupted you, dear. Pettifogger is your choice because of his excellent advertising. Well... You can tell I don't really have any particular love for Dr. Faust. And that's understandable. So, with the only other name that I know being somebody far away from Dr. Faust. But you want to solve medication issues with medication, is that correct? No. I mean, I won't it's all right. I won't be surprised if medication is what I need for the rest of my life if it's going to offer me even just a chance of living close to normally. And the right medication is, is wonderful for that. Uh, a dear friend of mine did work extensively in uh, developing both of the ethers, actually, uh, as uh, an answer to, to Zynequil dependency. I did work myself... And she's very careful here. Early in my career, I did work myself on uh, Zynequil overuse with minors. And it's, well, the dosage makes the poison, as they say. It's not the medication's fault. Uh, but I'm getting off track. Uh, it's good that you're seeking help. It sounds like you're just not especially fond of Pettifogger. I'm not. I'm not especially fond of, of many of my colleagues, but uh, what I'm trying to say is I know I can... Now, like, let me be clear. Do you know if Pettifogger requires that you go to Faust first? Faust was originally not involved at all. It sounds like he butted himself in. All right, that's promising. I'm confident I can get you past Faust. I'm not sure if I can... If that means you can't get to Pettifogger afterwards, but I think we can arrange something. You hear another announcement come across the PA system. This is the final call. Rooms will be checked, doors will be knocked, 
all must settle in. And you begin to hear slowing down of the mingled talking on the outside near the bar, though. Not completely. I think... I think you might have to go back. I I hope there was going to be more time, but if they're going to be checking rooms... What are they going to do to me? Throw me off? At this point, let them. I mean, you're better conversation than Pac-Man back there. If you want to stay, I'm not going to make you leave. Good. And neither shall they. I'm not going anywhere. I'm finishing this drink. And we're going to hatch some plans around this fellow tied to a chair. The best I have is daydreaming about locking Augie outside. That's only a daydream. To be clear, I, I, I know outside is dangerous, but, you know, I kind of can't help it. Well, at the moment... It's reality. I, we will probably have to let him in. Uh, to my knowledge, he doesn't deserve murder by salt. He doesn't know. He's just irritating. Mm. Well, that edges him closer. Somewhere else on the ship, Trevor, the assistant to the captain, tightens the belt of this machine that gets strapped to your back. It's a very crude device, but... He promises it's effective. And he then goes over... Nihilus, I'm sure you've already swung it over your back as well and did most of the work while he was assisting Trevor. But he looks looks you over. Yes, uh, looks perfectly well done. Um, I would just tighten this. Goes over and he grabs one of the belts and cinches it. Good. We can't have you losing it while you're outside. This is your only lifeline. Uh, I won't be able to see you, nor will anybody. It's your job to find this hatch. I have to keep the doors barricaded here. I have to. Because if something were to happen, then the door would swing open and compromise the vessel, and especially where there's little air. We can't have that happen. You can knock, but let's just say it's best you find the hatch and get this done with. It's right in the middle of the ship. Straight out the door, you walk straight, you can't miss it. Uh, straight ahead. Straight. Cool. Uh, I can do that. Uh, all right. Uh, anything to do that, like, if these rebreathing thingies, if we run out, run out of air, or if, if these things go on the fritz, anything we can do, or is that it? Is that curtains? Well, there's an emergency canister. See this here, this, this, um, this string. If you pull that, it'll release the emergency canister and give you another, perhaps a minute, if that. But it's in case of an emergency to give you just a bit more time. I see. Okay. Um, I do have a question. It is so incredibly thick, this whole, this whole saturation. How, what do we use for sight in order to proceed further? Are we just walking in blindly, or are there tips, methods, any last bits of information that'd be helpful? Now would be the time, please. Yes, we have a, a, a routine. He goes over and hands you a stick. It is actually a stick. It's not even anything, you know, professional. He says, this is a stick. Well, uh, there is a bump in the ground. You can use it to follow the bump 
That ridge leads you straight to the hatch. It is still straight, but it'll help you from falling off course. Right. Stay cool. Uh, Crude solution, but it does the job. Yeah, I'll just... I'll I'll, I'll figure it out. We're a couple of smart fellers, you know? We we can... uh, I don't propose there are much... Figure it out? Yes. We will have to. I don't suppose there'll be much winds. Shall we put a rope tied to one another, dear Trevor? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, you got rope? In my quarters. I, yes. I yeah. have rope. It's part of oh. our common supplies. And he Marvelous. takes it out of one of the boxes and hands it over. Uh, would you like the remarkable invention of the stick? Yeah, I guess I'll take the lead on this. Might as well. Uh, all right. Just, um, oh, I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm good. Just, I'm not sure if you're, myself up. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're a man of God yourself, but would you like to join me in a quick prayer? I'll take all the help I can get. As Nihilus holds his cross and he holds out open his hand like a welcomed palm, he closes his eyes and there's this sense of aura that changes in him for just a slight moment. He prays out loud and says, Dear Testimonium, please ever have your teachings and your faithful guidance approach us further into the troubles that are to come. That it be a quick and never unfortunate aid that we can provide for all that need. And he casts Bless as concentration on himself and on Trevor. This is not a flashy, a magical, a bims, a bam. It is not even much of a feeling except for it is almost as if when one speaks you have the understanding that someone hears your words without even saying a thing this is like a layer of affection that falls upon you uh and uh if you're listening uh ditto for me too what he said um shall we right Let's let's do it. Get her done. This assistant to the captain pulls a crate away from the door. It's a light one. The door latch this time seems to work fine. He unlatches it and holds the door closed for a moment. Both of you, believe me when I say, I, the captain, the entire crew and all of its passengers are quite grateful to you. Well, thank me when I get back. <laughs> of course. And with that, he opens the door. There's a thrust of cold wind that starts to blow at you. The salt is is biting at your skin like sand from a beach on a, on a windstorm. It's harsh. You can't see anything. Forward, right? I'm going. Forward. Straight just ahead. Takes a stick and just starts like sweeping across. 
not unlike a, a blind man trying to find his way down the pavement. Should be mechanical of nature, metal. It's all metal. It's a ship. The stick hits the ridge on the side, on the right, just where he said it would be. And the wind batters you. You feel like it could topple you over if you weren't a stronger person. And you follow this ridge across what feels like a very long deck. It felt a lot shorter when you walked across and you could see something, but with every step, it feels like you're going quite a distance. And finally, as this stick bumps against a piece of metal in front of you. You can't see it, but you know you've hit something. Okay. Uh, hold on. Hold on. I think I got... Uh, he's gonna drop down to his knees, and he's just gonna start feeling around the floor. Did you find it? Maybe. Roll perception with disadvantage. Alright. Perception... Disadvantage. Plus a D4. And Bardic. The, I don't know if I want to bless. use that just yet. The bless uh, is sadly not for a check, just so you know. It's not for checks? Oh, it's. No. Okay. Well, uh, then. Maybe I will use that uh, Bardic Inspiration then. Uh, D6, correct? Well, you don't have to use it in advance. Bardic, you can declare after. Yeah. Uh, yes, 56. Okay. So, with a 4 on the inspiration, that would make it an 11. You feel around, and it's all metal. It's just all metal. Your hands touching everywhere they can. It's smooth, it's domed, but time is going by, and you don't find a handle or anything. It's just a solid surface. Hold on, hold on. No, we're good. No, 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 this, this ain't it. This ain't the hatch. Uh, I think we got to turn around. Hold on. Turn around? Kind of starts breathing heavier. I felt the rope duck down. Did you fall? As you breathe in just a little bit heavier, you feel something in your mechanism break loose, and you hear as clearly air is starting to leak. We got to go now. Feel like you can still breathe a little bit, but it's getting thinner and thinner, and it's going to be gone in seconds. Immediately pulling that uh, emergency tank and see if anything happens, because that's all he learned. Like if it if it's a leak in the hose, that's probably going to go out too. But he's a dummy, so he's going to pull the cord on the emergency. You pull it, and you notice there was no pull to it. It comes right off. Shit, where are we? We gotta, we gotta go now. Nihilus. Yes, yes, it should be at the center. We should be close to it. Any... It's just split up. Remember from where we entered. Split up. Yeah, we can follow each other's voices. Just we can cover more ground. Alright, alright, alright. I'll take left, you take right. Sure. Sure. I'm feeling around. Nihilus, please roll perception with disadvantage. For a total of three after a natural one. You 
walk away, letting loose the rope around your waist, I assume? Or are you staying within range of that? He let go of the rope. You go away and you find what's, what feels like on the wall. First, something rigid, something round. You can trace your hand around it and you feel it a little more closely and you put your hand and you kind of drag it across and you notice it's glass. This is a porthole. It's not a hatch. It's it's not here. We have to keep looking. Ugh. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> he's now focusing on how deep he's breathing and it's been a while since he's focused on this. Every breath feels like a knife in his chest. And he's just like even before he starts running out of air. He's just going, it's here, it's here, it's gotta be here. Just, please, hurry. Roll perception with disadvantage again, please, Trevor, as you take what you can tell is the last breath out of the machine. Uh, and you have to hold your breath after that. It's a 15. You feel around and you bump your way back into that same mound, that smooth metal domed surface, and as you move your hand slightly above, you notice there's a wheel on it of some kind. It's set, it feels like it could be the wheel that would turn and open a hatch that was just a little bit further up, and not dead center, it was beyond, surprising you with its location, which is why you didn't find it the first time. Whatever... Like, even if it was to, like, a door or uh, a porthole or something to get him to open, as soon as he grabbed onto the wheel, he just starts turning it uh, to get it open. He realizes he doesn't have much air left, and he's just desperate at this point. You pull as harshly as you can on this wheel. You feel it. It's a heavy door. There's no doubt about it. It's probably the heaviest on the ship. It's one that does not get opened very often. And I think this is a good chance to take our break. Wow. The three breathers are amazing. We have enough time. Oh, no. I oh, find no. glass. Yeah, just, just salty sea air. You know, it's good for the soul.
inspired by the hollowed silence of the citadel after dusk may it transport you to those ancient halls if only for a brief moment Thank you. 
For every hard-working soul, here's a tune to keep your spirits high and your feet tapping. Remember, we're the backbone of this city. Luxurious chambers of the underborn, a tune that's as enigmatic as the nobles themselves.
Dr. Glass. Yes, dear. It's a warm evening. It's been humid for a few weeks now. It hasn't let up. There's condensation on the window, but inside is quite nice, and it's always around all the books. For some reason, they do something to cool off the room just a bit. There's a table in the center, sprawlings of notes, studies, and there's two people burning the midnight oil. You, and sitting across from you is Felix. The lamps outside just flickered on. It's getting quite late, and about time that usually you step away and end the studies for the evening, only to begin anew the next day. So, Lord Felix Royce stands up and walks over to his leather bag, which he brings to the table to begin packing things up. Well, another day. Learn anything interesting at school today, Felix? Well, I learned that they're finding quite a lot of interesting things over on that island. Like, practically bathing in artifacts of such interesting study. Yes, it does lend a bit of credence to Abelard's theories, doesn't it? About the star map and the points of consonants and all that. I... And she looks around. I mean, we've always been on the same page about the people here. Uh, you know I love and respect Abelard and owe him so much. Of course. The star map thing is a little hard to swallow at first, but Crow Perch does seem to be special. Don't get me wrong, it's his work is impeccable. I've read through his pages a number of times. I frankly admire the man. Well, of course, and uh, I think you have a skeptical mind like mine, so if you if your read of his work is impeccable, then that means a lot. Is it too hot to walk? We could uh, walk and discuss it further. Sure. He swings his bag over his shoulder, having packed it. Got everything? Yes, uh, almost. And uh, she gathers up her notes, which she does fold carefully. She She's still a bit private about what she's researching. Uh, and she walks with him freely, easily, no cane in sight. Uh, swings her own bag over her shoulder and steps out into the evening air. Walking down the dimly lit cobblestone street, it's still, like, you can almost feel the moisture hitting your face, how humid it is. And he continues, I just find it so fascinating. Don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy theory as much as the next person. But I feel as though practice is such a more viable field of study. Why hide behind the book when you can go see it firsthand? Go see Crowper, she mean. 
Yes. Look. And he pulls out a small cloth-wrapped stone. It's very small. He delicately unwraps the cloth as he's walking, and he holds it up between his fingers. And it looks like a little shard of obsidian. It, It glistens a bit. He says... I got this from a vendor. Didn't know what it was, but I, I recognized it. You didn't you've seen the articles of what's coming off the island. It's funny. When I hold this, I feel more connected. Does that make sense? To to the Nexus? Yes, it's it's as though it's I, I, I closer, it's more in reach. I, can I'll have to convert this to practical notes. I just don't know how to describe it yet. Doesn't Abelard have something like that in the in the head of his cane? It's similar, isn't it? The material. Do you mind if I if I see? Oh, sure. He hands it over to you. And she takes it in her hand and holds it up to the light and almost with embarrassment tries to feel something. Rollo a wisdom check. Uh, save or just flat wisdom? Let's do... Uh, oh, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> but I have advantage on saves. Uh, flat wisdom, then. Uh, 17. Oh, sorry, 18. You feel for a moment the nexus... It's tough to describe, and at this moment you can almost understand why even Felix was having trouble. It's always present, but out of reach except in certain situations but here you almost feel like you could reach out and it's like it's there but describing what the sensation is would be at this point impossible and she gives it back without saying anything uh, if I could I don't know if you mind me asking I know here the I do appreciate that the Circle of Whispers respects everyone's privacy and individual journey or whatever. But it sounds like you and Abelard don't do any practical work? Only theoretical study? Only theoretical. Telling him it's time to move beyond. I mean, if we're going to make progress, he needs to approach practicality at some point he refuses but I, I prefer not to talk too much about Avalard certainly and she's a bit relieved because uh, Avalard has been straight up teaching her magic uh, and she finds it curious that he hasn't the Felix though she has no idea if Felix has the same capabilities she does and she does not want to talk about it um, well, you're you're a brilliant young man, Felix, and whatever the next steps are, I'm I can't wait to be there to see them. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I have some unfortunate news. Oh no! Is everything all right? Oh, well, nothing to worry about, Isadora. I have to go. Fortunately, I had a, a death. Somebody close to me. I'm I've, so sorry. Of course, it, it happens. It, 
They were just a little bit younger than I expected. It's nothing. But I'll be at the Sovereign Seagate. You can visit me. I may come back. I don't know how long I'll be. I might, uh, I might well come visit you if, you know, since you're leaving me alone with the true believers, I might need a break. Uh, are you going to see your family? Of course. We have a small gathering. It's what you'd expect. Nobody's religious in my family, so it'll just be a bunch of dusty old people in a room. Nothing interesting. You, you don't talk about them much, and I always got the sense maybe there were difficulties there. If you need to write, you know where to find me. Of course. People say I'm a good listener, though... I have to say, Felix, I think I've been abusing your ear since we've both been here. No, I, I quite... You know so much about me. I quite like listening to you, Isadora. Now, it might not be soon. The Sovereign Seagate is not too far from here, and I have family coming from far and wide. So I'll be back in, in the office tomorrow. And as he walks down those cobblestone streets... You notice he's a very eloquently presented person. You notice his footsteps as silence befalls the conversation for a moment and he seems to go into his own world. And you notice his feet are pointed straight ahead. His steps are paced and sure. He doesn't drag his feet. He doesn't stamp them. Instead, he mindfully places them lightly on the ground, one foot in front of the other. In many ways, his perfect gait is very recognizable. And so as you stand in the room with Esperanza, you hear two sets of footsteps walking across the hall. One very familiar, and one not. And she feels that icy hand around her heart. Esper, dear, uh, how close are we to the room with the the tied-up man you saw? DM? Just down the hall, up the stairs. It's not many rooms here. Very close indeed. And the footsteps, they're heading in the opposite direction of the room. And if you're perceptive, you would hear the walls are, even though it's first class, the walls aren't the most thick. And you can hear, boss, I, I, the captain said stay in your, in the rooms. I just feel like it's too risky. Don't worry. This is the first class cabin. Nobody's going to be ushering us in here. The announcements for the whole ship. All right, well. We'll be quick. All right. You got it. Esper's going to lean closer and, and motion for Dr. Glass to kind of lean down as much as she can. That's that's the man. The ones talking outside, one of them is the man. His room isn't far either. Speak into my mind, dear, and they won't hear us. Esper's lips kind of screw shut tight and her, her brows knit together and you can see her trying to focus all of the focus that she can focus 
in a way. She's thinking it hard. That's the man. I can hear it. He talked to me just earlier. I, I recognize his voice. His room isn't very far away. It's just up the stairs. And, Dr. Glass, you'd also have recognized the voice and footsteps. Oh, yes. Uh, and she is trying to hide that her hand is shaking. Uh, and I think she has gone a bit pale. And she says, My dear, there's a very dangerous man who is captured, whoever that is. More dangerous than someone from a powerful family. I... Do you have... Do you have any water or anything to drink? At all? I... Sure. Go up to a nearby pitcher that's just sort of in first class rooms. There's two cucumbers in it. A lemon. It's beautiful. Double-handed. Tip water into a glass. Plonk it down. Hand the glass over. And she drinks some and I think you can see that this woman who so far has had an answer to everything does not know what to do. What what does it mean then that he has a man tied up in his room? It's very curious that he would need to do such a thing. And she pulls herself together a bit and takes out of her medical bag the, the echo light so that they can hear better. And she says, you're, you're good at asking questions. If you, it, it helps me think. I, I don't, I don't really know what kind of questions I should be asking. Uh, that's all right. Uh, my dear, I think I've already given the game away that I have some uh, uncommon skills that th the wider world might disapprove of. Is that fair to say? All I really know is that you know my name and I never gave it to you. Oh, that. That is uh, not an extraordinary ability. That is possibly a touchy subject. That is more about my professional history. I, uh, I do know who you are. I believe your last name is Boira. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Boira. Boira. Thank you. I've known who you are since you were 12 or 13 years old. I mentioned that I did some work advocating against using Xynoquil with minors, and that was, uh, well, that had a lot to do with you, Esper. I guess that's one of the names from one of the things that he must have used. I shouldn't be surprised. What do you mean? What do you mean? What are you... One of the do... names from one of the things? I thought you would maybe have, have known a little bit, but I guess the th things that Dr. Faust gets up to aren't quite as shared. What's going on? 
I wrote a paper, a, a case study about you based on your, your session recordings and your files, but I didn't use your name. I changed your name. Look, we can we can we can ignore decades this decades ago. We can ignore this for, for now. For now, we can just we can put this to the side. What is going on with that man outside in the hall? He has powers uh, a, a bit like mine, but I regret to say stronger. He uh, uh, gave me this charming little limp when I confronted him about some, you know, little murders he committed. And I thought we had been friends. Uh, normally, I pride myself on being a judge of character, and he properly fooled me. Not too long ago, either. But he's m made it very clear that people will die if I... You see, I was trying to find him, uh, and I hadn't given much thought to what I would do when I found him, which now I have. Uh, if we want to help that man, the moment is surely now. No, no. Fuck it. Fuck it. Okay, right. Let's, let's go. Let's go. They're not even near the room. They're not even near it. We can... Would you like to do you consider yourself more of a distractor or more of an untire? I'm not unfamiliar with knots and ropes. Why don't I I station myself outside and uh, you go in and be the hero. But first I'm going to do one thing because I'm a paranoid broad. I would like to cast detect magic to see if Felix has any nasty surprises waiting for us. You head out of the room, checking the hallway, of course, before doing so. And, and that is concentration, by the way. And you walk towards the stairs. You notice in the cocktail lounge, people are still chatting. There's fewer. Some heeded the captain's warning, but mo many didn't. And you walk up the stairs towards the room, and as you approach the door, you cast Detect Magic and... How does Dr. Glass do that? She's got like her cane over the tucked under her arm and she gets a pocket watch out and winds it a bit. And the ticking is suddenly louder. If you're standing near her, you can all, it's like you can hear the ticking in your mind, strangely. Uh, and but to her, everything else goes quiet. So to the people in her immediate vicinity, it's suddenly like, all I can think about is the ticking of this watch that's so weird. And to her, all other sound is suddenly muffled. And it's like she gets this additional sense. With each tick, you can almost feel everything around you. Tick reverberates through the walls, through the rooms. And inside this room, some concoctions in glass vials that seem to bear some magical capability. Definitely liquids. You can see them sloshing around. You can feel their presence, the liquid form. These are cylindrical shaped. There's six of them stacked up in a pile, like a pyramid. And that's the only magic I sense from inside the room. That's it. Great. The door, if you check the doorknob, this time is locked. Well, splendid. 
good news. Nothing magical at all coming from our target's room. But this time, the door is locked, I'm afraid. He did not repeat that mistake. I don't have any particular ability to walk through doors. Then I don't have any way to open a locked door. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's our show, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to that cocktail party. <laughs> Drinks. <laughs> Esper is a person who has a lot of necklaces and various piercings, but particularly in necklaces. Is there something sharp and thin on one of Esper's necklaces that they might be able to try and make use as a lockpick? Sure. I mean, you know Esper better than anybody. I'm sure she would have something like that. You could use an improvised lockpick. It would be with disadvantage. It's the best I got, though. Yeah, absolutely. I can give you Bardic once I realize what you're doing. Uh, But I only have one left, so I think I'll save it, actually. Okay. We might need it. Never done this before, but here goes nothing. That's a five. You insert the the necklace piece. It's long and thin, and it fits inside of the lock. And as you you insert it, you go to pull it, and you notice it's stuck in the lock. Oh shit! Oh sh- shit! I, I she has to try and wiggle it out, wiggle it some more, even if it's just to free it. Can Mage Hand help remove the necklace? If not, do anything to the lock? Probably not. But Esper, are you using sleight of hand or athletics to try to achieve this? I think Esper, in a moment of panic, is going to use athletics. Okay. Go ahead and roll athletics. It's an 11. You pull on your necklace, and it pulls the entire lock mechanism out of the handle. You hear it rip out, and the door's unlocked, but it's obviously done so. Oh. The, however, the necklace does unstuck itself from the lock mechanism, if that helps. Well, I guess we can get in now. <laughs> yes. Fuck-ups do Maybe. have a way of simplifying one's course of action. You know, uh, here, and Esper is going to hand it to Dr. Glass, just in case, and and point to the doorknob, pick up the lock mechanism from the floor, and hand that over as well. She shoves it all in her bag. Let's see what you can do with that, because I don't know when they're coming back. I'll, I'll go get... She is going into the room. You run into the room, and something's different about it. The bed's properly made. The chair that was in the corner is turned around and facing the room like it belongs there. And the man who you saw tied to the chair, he's laying on the freshly made bed, his face turned away from you. He looks, besides the unkempt hair, which you noticed earlier, like he's wearing a silk robe. What the f- Hey, hey, hey. She's gonna reach up 
And yet she has to reach considerably far over the mattress because she's so small. And to put her hand over his arm and give him a tiny shake. You shake his arm and you see him like a little bit out of it for a second as if he's waking up. He turns over and startled. Oh! What are you... Uh, I think I saw you earlier t- today. You, you, you saw me t- today? What you t- You were in the chair. You, and by the way, looking at this man, you clearly can recognize him. I should have said this sooner. You clearly can recognize him as the same man you encountered in the cargo hold. I wanted my ether. Huh. How did you get up here? Why are you in the room? Why were you tied up? You see, he contemplates for a moment. I... I... wasn't... tied up. I I don't know what you're talking about. I... um... uh... From when I saw him in the chair and from now, can Esper tell if in either of the two states he was high? Roll... Medicine with advantage. And also, I know I'm not in there, but I should have asked earlier, because Izzy would know this. Would uh, the ethers register as magical? They do. You notice them in okay, the room. That's what I had assumed. And you still have your detect magic up, and if you peek inside while Esper is interacting with this person, you can see there yeah. is a safe on a table where those ethers rest uh you will also see that esper is glowing uh the first roll was a zero the second roll was a four you notice dark bags under his eyes but he also just woke up the robe obscures his body you can't see if the rope marks are there at least on first glance and it's hard to tell and he looks at you and this his confusion now turning a bit to frustration you should, shouldn't be in my room. Why are you in my room? This isn't your room, it's that prick's room. No. No, it's my room. Who are you? I'm... I'm Sam. Sam Thompson. Sam Thompson. <laughs> are you... Are you feeling all right, Sam? I feel better than ever. Is anyone coming in the hallway? So, Dr. Glass, you're in the hallway, and you have the lock mechanism and the necklace. They're disconnected now. The door- They're in her bag. The door handle has a little hole in it where the lock mechanism belongs. And are you just standing watch or are you doing anything out there? She was standing watch, but she's thinking, this is taking too long, and she's thinking about going in there and- hustling them out. I would say... I don't know if she can hear the conversation. I kind of assume she can. I would say the conversation's muffled. Roll me a perception check and roll me... No, actually just one perception check because I'll use that for two things. Just an 11 on perception. You stand in the hallway and you notice time is going by. You can hear just glimmers of the conversation and you can tell that 
this man seems to not want to leave. I'd say that's all you can tell. And also, you hear one set of footsteps in the hallway below you, moving very slowly, but there's still footsteps you recognize. No. No. Um, do I know if there's a way to get out of here that does not cross his path? The hallway, as Esper has paced it many times, has a window at the end. It does open, but it opens to a sheer drop off of the ship. And all you see is white. Uh, she glances in at Esper and says into her mind, It's too late. He's coming. You need to get out of there and seem inconspicuous. And she drops Detect Magic and casts Invisibility on herself. The man in front of you sees you pause for a second. Wait, you got in here? Um, that means you know how to jimmy a lock. That's safe over there. Would you open it for me? I wouldn't say that I know how to jimmy a lock, but... But I do know where some soft ether is. Yeah? Yeah. Where? Do you want to come... We can split a vial. You want to come get some? You see him thinking very hard for a moment. Okay. All right, come on. And where are you going? By the way... I am... Footsteps are on the stair... Just at the bottom of the staircase now. Shh. Is there any other door on this level that we're at and like there's some other rooms at the bottom of the staircase they're also locked on the bottom of the stair the bottom of the, the, staircase, of the staircase is still a one-way trip to through another hallway and he's at that bottom yes you're on a dead-end hallway with a door that has a hole in the lock is there anything kind of heavy in this room but also wieldable there's some lamps there's the safe it's very heavy that would be tough to wield um you notice a vase, a couple chairs. The vase. Alright. Gonna have to do some distraction work. I if you I, I don't I don't want to get in trouble. I, I, I don't All you have to do is act like nothing happened. Okay. And I'll Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Just lie back down. Alright. And, and he almost mindlessly slowly lowers himself to the bed and turns back into his position he, facing away from the door. While he does, Esper is getting uh, any sort of spare chair, not one that's fancy or anything, a stool even, something that she can climb up onto. You can find a chair. Okay. She'll bring it with her to be basically against the wall behind the door. When it opens. Dr. Glass, you know the footsteps are just rounding the stairwell. The door next to you, assuming you're keeping it closed in between, the only sign on the door of any tampering is the handle. You're standing alone in this hallway, having delivered the message to Esperanza. What are you doing? I mean, do I think I can put the handle back? I'm assuming not 
in the words of the famous Matt Mercer, <laughs> you can certainly try. I mean, but then that's probably all the time I have is to try that. I would say you get a solid attempt in before the stairs are fully rounded. But then if I fail, then that's it. Who knows? This is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> uh, what role is it to try to put the door handle back in the fucking hole? Depending on how you're doing it, I would say if you're trying to be a bit technical about it, sleight of hand, uh, to actually insert it properly, and maybe it'll work. If you just want it to look something, then perhaps athletics might work for this. Getting it in there. Well, my my athletics is negative two, and my sleight of hand is a full zero. That's still, so, you know, depending on I the guess DC. We'll go sleight of hand. All right. Please roll sleight of hand as you reach into your bag and fumble about a moment with this. Help me void. Help me void. Eleven. You insert this lock into the doorknob. It seems to click. It, and as you look at it. You see, it is in its space. The lip of it, very, very hard to notice, mind you, is protruding just a bit. And the footsteps round to the top of the stairs, and you have just about a second more. Are you doing anything else to, to present yourself before you know that a head is about to peek up the rounded stairwell? Do I have any memory of Felix having an ability to see through invisibility? No. Okay. Good. <laughs> uh, then I'd like to pull something heavy or substantial out of my bag and just get as, like, press myself in the corner as far away from him as possible. My hope is just to. Like I'm not gonna try to sneak past him because again, like I've got the cane, I've got the, I've got too much stuff. Again, I'm not stealthy. I just want to be. Do you still have detect magic? No, I had to drop that for invisibility. Mm -hmm. They're both concentration. Okay. You press yourself up against the wall, invisible. And I get something out of my bag in case I want to throw it, in case I want to hook it behind him as a distraction. You're gonna have to roll. It's, even if it's a bottle of something. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have to roll stealth with advantage. Is what invisibility grants. Right. Okay, 19. Thank you, Advantage. Thank you, Invisibility. You see as... Fingers crossed. Lord Felix Royce's head appears at the stairwell, walking slowly towards his door. On the inside, Esperanza stands on a chair, holding a vase right behind the door. And the man is laying on the bed, back turn to it. He gets to the door and reveals his key, which he fumbles on a keychain. He goes to insert it into the lock. And as he inserts the key, he tries to turn it, but it's stuck. So he jingle, jiggles it a bit, giving it a wiggle to see if that'll release it. You hear... Oh, these old ships. And 
the lock mechanism comes out with the key. He looks at it, and you see he clearly has not noticed you. And you can see his face of contemplation as he pauses for a long time. He takes the key and the lock mechanism, bends down and gently places it on the floor next to the door. And you see as he reaches into his coat pocket and pulls out a revolver. Dr. Glass would like to come up behind him and hit him with her cane. You start to, right in the back of the head. You start to walk up behind him. You're able to be quite silent. These floors, the first class cabin, God bless them because they're very well made. Not a single creak. And as you approach, you hold your cane above his head. Please roll to hit. With advantage. Uh, oh, with advantage. Good. Because that wasn't great. 17. Trevor, please roll athletics as you try to yank open this hatch door. Here I go. 18? The door is very hard to pull. You get all of your might behind it, and with one solid pull, it rips away from the metal, the crystallized salt having been holding it down, making a very loud bang in the middle of the ship. At the same time, Asteria, you lower your cane quickly, decisively to hit him in the head, and you do so. He's clocked, and his revolver goes off, firing into the floor, just as the hatch in the center pulls open. Trevor, you see a ladder, and you feel air rushing out of the mechanical room very quickly. I heard a bang! Did you get it? Just go now! gonna basically throw himself uh, feet first uh, trying to catch the ladder and climb down as fast as he can Nihilus quickly follows the sounds in the center of the ship and tries to make his way you're pulled towards the hatch and you find your way in and you can feel air rushing out so I suppose you close the hatch as, as you go I in or no down in there yes um and do so for as, for as long as he's had his head out there he is turning fucking purple out and then the salt oh oh that was quite the experience eh? oh, quite oh you are you all right what happened to your will be there didn't work then you, uh, there was the emergency cord did you not pull it there ain't nothing there. Oh, wait. C calm down. Calm down. The more rapidly you breathe, the, the worse it will be for your lungs. Hey, stand still. Calm down. I will place my hand on your chest. Don't fucking touch me. Puts his hand right on your I'd, arm and pushes it away. 
he will keep it still at a distance, respecting, respecting space, respecting the moment, respecting the dreadful intent in his words. Please, I will only help. I will act as a mere guiding. Please, Lazarus Desimodium, aid my ally in his deepest desire and need. Now is thy time. And as he says that, he will cast healing word. There's no light. There's no fancy magic. There's just a calming sensation. As any little scrapturing wounds you have received from the salt trying to puncture your skin will be like a smoothing oil put on your skin to ease some of the pain. Hopefully this might calm you down. Spare your breath. We will get through this. It's mighty kind of you. And you see as he says that, he has his arms kind of like braced around his chest. Let us proceed. Thanks. Let's just machines there behind the gate I don't know what that's about but maybe you do so just let me get my breath yes even though we might have some breath here I wouldn't take our chances let us make haste Nihilus walks towards the machine Nihilus what do you think of it you look at the machine and you can see sprawlings of writing on it none of it unfortunately is universalis but you notice Tinker speak. You notice some thrum called in Silvarin. And the instructions seem to be passed down from engineer to engineer. There are even signatures under each. And among the different instructions you can read, pull left lever to eject stuck material. Unscrew pipe cap to do manual inspection as an option. You see power cycle in the rear of the device, take off the mechanical cap, disconnect a wire and reconnect it. There's few troubleshooting options. With the general aid of his magical book, Art Testimonious, it would be an easy equation to solve uh, these these mere wrongs, these mere left out instructions although he's doing it on the top of his mind from his years of studying, even though he is a man of many languages, it's not an easy skill to get everything in a, a panical situation like this he will try to rely on his instincts of his natural intelligence it shouldn't be something this difficult is what he thinks to himself and he will try to follow the instructions one by one to follow the steps in order to how to reset it this machine you do so you go to pull the lever and you hear a thrusting sound clang against the machine it, it makes it it implies to you that something is stuck in there and it just doesn't let loose when you pull the lever you go to the inner hatch in the front and you pull the panel off and you look inside and you see two of the pipes have been encrusted with a, a layer of salt where the filter is supposed to be. And so I suppose you could try to knock it loose. Would you do so? 
even with the best and brightest of his ideas, he cannot think of anything else that would far outweigh just a simple hard-hitting object to crush the deposit of salt. He tries to find the stick, or he will borrow the stick that he has uh, that we have took with us uh, from Trevor, and he will try to just jam beers, try to get rid of the, some of the deposit, letting Trevor take a moment to breathe. You do so. And as you hit these deposits of salt against the filter, they crumble and fall out of the exhaust of the ship. You hear the machine bang and the air starts flowing again. As simple as that. And all the saints that favor. Now I thank you most. Trevor, it is working. Let's get us back. Cool. I think I'm going to take a second. I ain't got no breather. Your breather. It is finished. I mine... Let me take a look. You look at it and you see the little indicator for oxygen is also depleted. <sighs> he tries to have. He tries to take an understanding of the the room, the space that they're in right now. Have a moment of ten seconds of clarity and calculation in a situation of this. How long can they stay in a room like this before things are too worse for them to even stay conscious? Roll. Roll. Investigation. Will do. For a total of 21. You look around the room. You walk slowly over to the hatch and look up. And around the walls, and. It's at that point you notice there's a space behind the machine, but behind the fence that isn't easily accessible. It's awkward to get to. You have to walk around the machine and around some pipes. And as you bend over, bend down under one of the pipes, you see there's little drawings on the wall. Oh, sprawlings, pictures. You see this, the floor there is a little stained. And as you investigate a little bit further, you see at the bottom in Universalis, you stuck in here too, with a question mark and a smiley face. And you see instructions written next to that. And under the instructions, it has the word, wait. Hopefully the ship docks eventually. Trevor. Yeah. In here. He's gonna... He's been slumped up against a wall for a bit. You can tell that that uh, outdoor excursion really took it out of him. And he's just going to start uh, making his way to the machine, just peering behind it. What you got? I... You see this hole? This this tight space down there? I have good news and bad news. I... Believe I am an optimistic man, and we shall persevere. Great. Eventually. <sighs> I don't see any other way out, but I see a place where we could crawl and stay put. Uh, looking, kind of trying to see where Nihilus's eyes are going to. Is this a. I, am I 
able to squeeze my way in there. It's a rabbit warren of pipes and wires and cables, but once you get over under the smallest point, you can probably figure out if you really wanted to. You don't have to, but sure. And you'll see if you look down beneath it, even before squeezing your way under, it looks like you're not the first person to get stuck here during the saturation. We can't just wait this out. This thing, we still have We days. cannot go out there without the rebreather. Listen, if I just... Our only hope is to wait. We just give ourselves a chance to recover, a chance to get our, 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 our voice, our breath back. We can... We can make a run for it. We know where it is now, right? We can... There's got to be another way. We're not going to last if we Trevor. just stay here. Trevor, if we miss the door, our fate shall be sealed. I believe this to be the safer course of action. It will not be comfortable. I will be frank with you on this. I'm being quite serious here. We have done a great service, a great deed, a great boon for any on board. This, this saturation is not to be underestimated. Whatever. I'll, I'm going without you and you don't seem to be going anywhere, so I gotta wait anyway. Might as well wait here, right? Right. Hey. They, they, they mentioned they have many more rebreathers. They noticed the engines are on. It only takes a minor mind to realize the situation where we could be in right now. Clearly, we are not the first. They might be right behind us. But please, it's better to breathe in there. You can tell that uh, Trevor is, at this point, starting to pace around uh, the area. He's kind of muttering to himself. Just... They knew. They fucking knew. They gave me that we breather. Knowing that it was shit. They sent me down here, knowing I weren't, weren't going to have a way to get back up. <laughs> then, they're going to lock the door behind me, knowing I can't go back out there until I slowly expire. They planned for this, those fuckers! And just going to punch the iron wall as hard as he can. Just echoing throughout the room. Fucking idiot. Whatever. My if you look sucks. at Nihilus, let's just do your so. If you look at Nihilus, you can see a, a, a composed man bearing the face of compassion, understanding. This might be, to your own opinion, the, the first signs of how you would recognize a, a priest in your everyday life compared to how Nihilus has acted so far but you also still notice that even with this situation as dire as it is you still feel that understanding of blessing that you have upon you you can notice that Nihilus is focusing on that concentration with his own tough breathing with his own panic movement and breathing he does try to focus and concentrate as he is standing ready to offer you to go first. Fine. I don't... I don't mean to, to lash out. 
I just... It's quite alright. I understand. I do sincerely think, or hope, that they did not intend to give you a rebreather, uh, which was faulty. But you're proving them wrong. By your own constitution and sheer will, keeping you on a strong fate. You're alive. Let's keep us so. I'm alive. I don't know. I suppose I'll take it. It's all I can take. Thank you. He's just gonna walk past him. Sort of wedge himself into the smaller space to see where it leads. Trevor, as you crawl underneath the mechanisms and pipes to this little room that's clearly been used before, you find a small piece of cloth tucked into the corner. And if you pull it, you'll uncover a bottle of Elysian effervescence. It's a very expensive wine. And the same smiley face written on the wall is copied on the bottle. That'll do. <laughs> At least it'll help wash the taste out of my mouth. <laughs> Before you hear Nihilus start to crawl behind you is uh, when you can really start to hear him cough up as well. This, these entire lungs, it's like he was holding his breath. Trying to hold his composure. <laughs> and he will follow. Uh, just as soon as Trevor's in the room, uh, he's just going to once again brace his back up against a wall and just slowly slide down into a seated position. Still has the bottle of wine in his hand. Kind of swish it around a little bit. He's going to use his hand and try and rip the cork out. I'll take a little swig. Kind of offer it up to Nihilus. We're gonna be here a while. Wanna... He nods and definitely accepts almost as a pure instinctful reaction. And a bit quicker than one might imagine from a man like him. But yes, thank you. Might as well enjoy ourselves. <laughs> It's awful. <laughs> you fucking wimp. It's incredibly salty. <laughs> take it back and take another pull. Just put it on the ground between them. Just sit across and just eye contact with each other. Just silence. Mm -hmm. Somewhere else on the ship, well... Not quite somewhere else, but somewhere specific. Dr. Glass, please roll damage. Uh, sorry, that was max damage, I believe, so seven. You strike him on the head and you see a little bit of blood. He falls onto the ground, tumbling as the door with no latch opens on its own and Esper, you see this man fall just in front of you as you stand on the chair with a vase in your hand the revolver had gone off but that noise that came from outside was also very loud 
And if you wait for just a moment, you don't hear any footsteps coming in your direction. But this man tumbles onto the floor. He lies there motionless for the moment. And in Esper's head, she hears, Get the gun. There's that moment of being stunned and watching it. And then the sound in her head jolts her into motion. She, she hops off of the stool. She puts the vase back where she found it, runs and snatches up the gun. And for lack of a better plan, she just books it to her room. Esper runs by, bolting down the stairs and into the room that she resides in. You run to your room, holding this gun, and you slam the door closed. You're in there, and it's silent. Your adrenaline is pumping. It's... It's hard to know what to make of what just happened. It's hard to even feel in the grasp of her fingers the gun that she's holding with both hands. She seems for a very long time to not know what to do with it. She's standing just in the in the doorway after she closed the door. Statue still. It takes a good minute for her to even move again, to move and to hop herself onto her bed and just sit there. Her mind racing with what might have happened to Dr. Glass, what might have happened to the, the fancy asshole. And eventually she looks down and... Her eyes start boring into the gun. She's also listening outside. She's got a vague sense of, is Augie going to come back in at any minute? Then her mind sticks on it. Augie. Augie. And the ether. Augie let her keep the ether. The same ether that the man who was making everything confusing back up in that fancy room. I think... First, Esper is going to fiddle with the gun and try to kind of learn in real time how to empty the barrel. She'll stuff the bullets under her mattress and the gun under Mr. Augie's mattress before she climbs back into bed and takes out from her pack her three daily doses of soft ether. And thinking as hard as she can as she takes out one of those doses, as hard as she can, the same way she managed to force her thoughts in verbal form back to Dr. Glass, Augie left me in control of the drugs. She's taking out that dose, she's lifting it up, giving it a little shake, and at the top, where there's the uh, pressure release to the tablet, she's snapping that bit of glass as she lets the pressure pour a dose of soft ether into her mouth well before her 24-hour uh, cycle dosage time. It's almost warm, the sensation as it flows into your esophagus, you feel its warmth, and you look at your hand as it fades in and out for a moment, and then focuses more intently, 
and your vision has this radial glow around the edges. You can feel its effects almost immediately. I believe I have a constitution saving throw to me. Yes, you do. That is a 15. You save. You feel fully under its effects. I think she's going to do her best to keep the strain of thought in her mind. My charge let me take care of my own drug usage. My charge left me with my drugs. My charge left me with my drugs. Like a mantra. Like it's something that Esper has to remember. Above all things, no matter how far sinking into this familiar yet old sensation is, however woozy and dizzy she gets as she starts to look at the room, blurring in and out and beginning to spin and melt, she has to be fucked up enough so that everybody who tries to look at her knows she must not have been in her right mind if she is accused. And if she is this fucked up, whose fault is it? The man who left her in charge of the drugs. The door to your room cracks open a bit. You see a elegant cocktail glass in a hand push it open. Hey, Asper. Oh, look who's back. You okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, look, mm. I've heard uh, from some of the kitchen staff you've been gallivanting about the ship. Uh, can't um. do that anymore. Uh, you're confined to quarters. And the door slams shut, and you hear it latch from the outside. <laughs> your thing, Hockey. Dr. Glass. Dr. Glass. And Dr. Glass, you're standing over a body. You see inside the room, the man who was laying on the bed has rolled over, sitting up, and he looks incredibly concerned toward you. So he's wearing a silk robe. Does it look like he's wearing something under the robe? It's tough to tell. It's not the description that Esper gave you, that's for sure. Uh. Did, did you, um. Uh, did. Did you kill him? And she tries to do that cool person thing where you turn someone over with just your foot. And. There's no, she has no chance of successfully doing that, so she just kind of kicks him ineffectually, uh, and then remembers that she needs her cane to actually stand. And she says, Turn him over, will you? Let's find out. He goes over, walking across the room, and kneels down next to him. And with both of his hands, he pulls the body over. Body, bodies are incredibly heavy, much more than you'd think, and he strains a bit to do so, but Lord Felix Royce flips over limply. You see his eyes are fluttering a bit, 
he'll be fine. Trust me, I'm a doctor. I recommend you go wherever you came from, and if he gave you that robe, leave it here. Don't take anything with you that he gave you. I... Where, where do I, I, I go? To your room? I, I don't know. Uh, okay. He stands and looks back into the room for a moment, looks down the hall. I... If you want to come find me later and tell me what the hell's going on and why he held you captive. Actually, can she g- take a closer look at him? Just Does she notice that he's perhaps drugged or can she clock his deal? Roll medicine. I'm proficient in deal clocking. 19. With a 19, you can tell around his wrists there are bruises where ropes might have been. As he stands now, the robe pulls a bit and you can see them. And under his eyes, the dark bags from a clinical perspective imply that he doesn't sleep much and he's been in the past heavily medicated a bit too much wait so he he's still tied up no but you see the bruises showing that he oh, was sorry. a robe mm-hmm. sorry the robe pulls um and she directs him to trevor's room off the galley says go see my man trevor I'll find you the... Uh, tell him that the doctor sent you. He stammers a bit. I... Uh, and I'll find you later to ask you some questions. Yes, I'll, I'll... No, I mean... And as he's answering, you see Lord Felix Roy starting to rouse. His eyes... I cast sleep. I kneel down and uh, like I'm checking his pulse and... You know, I say, like, hush now, don't move, you'll make it worse, and try to disguise that I'm casting sleep, but I cast sleep on him. Falling into the world of D&D rules, how much HP can you cover with your sleep eight, uh, Let's see. Uh, I could upcast it and use my last second level slot, but I don't think she would. She thinks he's low because he was unconscious. Uh, so, uh, shall I roll my 5d8? Please do. Those are some good rolls. 24. With 24, sorry, with a 24, you see as his eyes get heavy for just a moment, and he looks very out of it. But then they open widely. And for the first time in this most unflattering position, You know, the way he's laying, you can see his neck. You know, he looks unkempt. His hair is not proper. And a scowl falls upon his face. Dr. Glass. And she really thought she'd have the gun for this part. Uh, And she, she says to the guy, get the fuck out of here. The guy stands there for a moment, panicked, like a deer in headlights, and then looks down. Mr. Felix, Mr. Felix, they they broke into your room. He runs into the room. 
goes into the bathroom and slams the door shut. Dr. Glass, please. And she's going to hold the head of her cane to Felix's throat and try to act as confident as she would as if she also had his revolver in her hand. Please roll a intelligence saving throw. <laughs> you call that, that would be a four. <laughs> Give me just one moment. Should I also take a moment to roll up another character? <laughs> get your affairs in order. Just, just need a second here. Maybe get a drink. Dr. Glass, you see as you stand over his body, your cane pressed just up to his throat, looking as menacing as you can, and you feel a voice enter your head. You know this sensation. It's the same communication that you provide to others, but it's stronger, a lot more than the simple chatter that can happen between heads it's nails on a chalkboard it's a scream into your head and you hear let me show you something and with that you start to feel as your vision starts to blur the focus on your cane and his body shifts in and out and you start to feel your head is light as you slump back a bit, leaning into the wall behind you, and you find yourself not in your body, but what seems to be somebody else's. You're sitting at a desk and writing some notes. These are highly technical notes. You, being so highly trained, can see this is the most technical study at the Circle of Whispers. And then you fall out of this body. You float through the ether. And it's as if your view, disembodied, floats to the top of the room. And you see Lord Felix Royce enter this room. And the body you just left as Abelard. You hear, Oh, um, Royce, uh, I wasn't expecting to see you. Oh, yes. I always hate to be a bother, as you know. I just had some questions for you regarding our studies. They're private, just because they're of a personal matter. Well, uh, it's fine. Sit. And Abelard, being none the wiser, goes over to his decanter and pours two glasses. One for himself, and one for Mr. Royce. Mr. Royce looks over at Abelard and begins, I've been thinking a lot about our studies together, and I just don't understand why it is you're just constantly giving me theory. Theory this, theory that. And it's starting to bother me. Uh, I told you, Felix, you're not ready. You're volatile. You... 
You don't respect the study. You exploit it. And once you learn more of theory, you'll move to practicality. Ah, yeah, right, right. Um, I almost forgot. I did want to ask, though, the the, the Vintner's Eclipse, the wine, what what age is it? Uh, I, I got this from the market. Um, I believe it's... Uh, actually, I don't know. I, I didn't ask. Hmm. Not quite the man of class that you come across to be, are you? What, what do you mean? And you notice his words trail a bit. What do you mean? Right. Now that it's just me, let's move things along. He walks over to the safe, and you see him punch in a code to it. And Abelard, his body's starting to go a little bit limp. You know, his hand on his desk swings over, knocking some things over as he looks towards the safe, and he tries to say something. As you hear, Oh, right. I know your codes. Uh, I'll spare you the excruciating tale of hearing how long it took me to get them. He opens the safe, and here... Your vision is blurred. It's like you're intentionally being denied view of something. And he pulls out something, and that blur follows along with it. He walks over to Abelard. You are an unfortunate old man. And in this current state, I find you to be quite useless. And at that point, you see him close his eyes and tilt his head back a bit. Oh, stop. Of course I can hear you. No. No. Dr. Glass, how interesting. Don't accept your threats, but let me trade you with one of my own. And you see him pull a eloquently forged dagger from his belt and he places it to the bottom of Abelard's chin um Mr. Cook Abelard I Lord Felix Royce do hereby proclaim that your services are no longer needed among the circle of whispers and you see as the dagger protrudes through the other side of his head. Dr. Glass, you begin to come to, and you notice your feet are bound, your hands are bound, and you're sitting in a chair in a dark room you see in front of you that same dagger lies on the floor just ten feet away what do you do? well, my hands are tied at the wrists correct? my fingers can move? correct uh, then I wiggle them this way and that and my 
shadowy hand friend picks up the dagger and cuts the ropes. The hand floats over, picks up the dagger, floats behind you, and the ropes are freed, and you have both of your hands. And it uh, cuts the ropes around my ankles as well, as I look around and see if anyone's about to punch me in the face or anything. And if Abelard's cane, my cane, is anywhere. It's practically a broom closet, but all of your things seem to be in a neat pile in the corner of the room. Including your like cane. Like the things that I had on me? Not my luggage, right? Not your luggage. Do I have any sense of how much time has passed? You... You can roll intelligence. It would be a high DC, but I could give you some information. Go ahead and roll it. I mean, I guess I could look at my watch, too, but that wouldn't tell me if I've been here for days. Um, if I've been here for days, I'm in bad shape. It's just an eight on intelligence. You know that your head hurts really bad, and you feel an aching in your bones more, much more than usual. You feel tired, hungry, and thirsty. It's like all of your bodily functions are at their lowest point. You can stand. You can move. You'd have to press on your cane just a little bit more than usual. Well, it's very strange that I would have been left this way so politely after all that with it being so easy for me to get out so I listen at the door you hear ocean waves you hear seagulls uh can I open the door you go to put your hand on the doorknob and it opens it unlatches. It's one of those doorknobs that open from the inside, but not always from the outside. And as you open the door, you see you're standing on the hall of her royal rose. You see the air is clear, except out in the distance, where into the ocean you do still see a th thick white fog. And as you open the door fully, you step out, and you look in the other direction to find beautiful Port Hillcrest. You step out onto the deck and towards the edge of the ship, the ship that looks empty, and you see some things floating in the water below. It's your luggage. Is it more than 30 feet below? Significantly so. You waited all this time to pitch it overboard, just to spite me. I almost admire that. And she looks out at Port Hillcrest and makes a mental note to find some place to buy a change of underwear and socks. But first, she better find that girl with that gun. And hopefully Trevor. And... And... I think that will be a good place to end today's session. 
I just want to say, everybody, this is my favorite D&D I have ever played. You're all amazing, and this is going to be one of the best campaigns ever.